There my blessing with thee. In these few precepts in thy memory look thou character. Give thy thoughts no tongue, nor any unproportioned thought his act. Be thou familiar, but by no means vulgar. Those friends thou hast in their adoption tried, grapple them unto thy soul with hoops of steel, but do not dull thy palm with entertainment of each new-hatched, unfledged comrade. Beware of entrance to a quarrel, but being in, bear that the opposed may beware of thee. Give every man thy ear, but few thy voice. Take each man's censure, but reserve thy judgment. Costly thy habit as thy purse can buy, but not expressed in fancy, rich, not gaudy, for the apparel oft proclaims the man. And they in France of the best rank and station are of the most select and generous chief in that. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. This above all, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the night the day, Thou canst not then be false to any man. To thine own self be true. So this is from Hamlet. And I thought it would be a good intro to this podcast about authenticity. Our guest is going to talk to us about her journey to authenticity. When you're feeling inauthentic, what to look out for when you're feeling inauthentic and how you know you're being authentic. After that, we're going to meditate for a few minutes. I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you like this podcast, please like, share, follow, and review it. It really helps us out. We're getting more and more listeners every single week. And I'll always say this, I'm very humbled and grateful. We're going to hear a few words from our sponsors and get into it. Okay, guys, picture this. You're on a three-day weekend. You're with your homies. You're with your partner. You only have a limited amount of dinners, of lunches, of time. And you're probably on a budget because of the economy that we're in. You cannot trust the influencers when you type in the hashtag for the city that you're in and you see the restaurants that they are eating, they are getting paid to do that. You're going through other review sites and you see restaurants that pop up immediately, five stars, four stars, those are paid ads. You have to download Bestie. Bestie is available on Android and iOS. It is user content. It is people that have gone to establishments, restaurants, tattoo parlors, hair salons, have had fantastic experiences and then posted them. Bestie goes through and validates those claims and only the best of the best are on the app so you know that you can trust it and the time that you spend in these cities will be well spent. That is B-E-S-T-I dot U-S, B-E-S-T-I dot U-S. Hi, everyone. This is episode four of Whatever Works with Jasmine McDonald. We're so happy you're here today. We have a dear friend of mine, Monica Molina, on today. And she's going to talk to us about her journey to authenticity and what that looks like for her. Monica, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So talk to us about your road to authenticity, maybe just from the beginning of your story? 
Yeah, so I uh, grew up in north central Massachusetts and, uh, you know, thought while I was in high school that there could be nothing cooler than to live in New York City. So when I graduated high school, I went to acting school. Really? Uh, after two years of that, I realized I liked money and eating <laughs> regularly. So uh, I went back to my hometown and tried to figure out where to go from there. And I ended up in finance and uh, it was a small credit union and I was providing service to our customers and various capacities. And from there I started a 15 year journey with Fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. So the national bank, right? Yeah. Well, it was the investment company rather than the bank. So, um, so yeah, so I was with them for 15 years doing a variety of customer service roles and then managing teams and, I got to uh, participate in one of their employee resource groups, um, which is really where I think the the journey into authenticity began because I started having some kind of cognitive dissonance between what I was experiencing on a day-to-day basis in my role at Fidelity and the idea of what we were trying to do as an employee resource group. So it was called Aspire. Uh, the Black and Latino Employee Resource Group, or Latino and Black Employee Resource Group. And um, basically, there was a, a group of us that formed a board, and our our goal was to uh, basically create opportunities to elevate people of color within the organization, because, of course, this is like the early 2000s. There were very few people that looked like me in leadership, um, just since nobody can see me, I should probably mention that my dad's from South America and uh, he's from Venezuela and my mom is French Canadian and Irish. And um, so that would play into how I experience the world because I would have this whole community of Latinos that didn't necessarily view me as Latino because I'm very fair skinned or Um, because I didn't speak Spanish as a child and didn't know all the dances and all of that. And then um, I had a community of, um, you know, white Americans that I grew up with that didn't necessarily see me entirely in that light Mm -hmm. because my dad was you know, he's a brown Latino. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you and know. your, and your maiden name Basantes, right? Yeah. Like it's not Miller yeah, or yeah. Jones or, you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So all of that was very squashed for me and mm-hmm. in terms of my career. So I did not necessarily identify as a Latina at any point until I joined this employee resource group. And, in, and even until then, it just wasn't relevant in mm-hmm. any way because I had tucked anything related to my identity in a little box so that I could show up in a very, uh, you know, I can't think of a way to describe it, but a very sanitized and controlled version yeah. of myself. Like a palatable version for a national in financial institution. Exactly. To be able to, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you consciously did that? Um, yeah, I do. I think on some level I did. Not necessarily the closing off of the Latino side of myself because I if I I think if it had been purposeful, I might have mourned it. Mm. Whereas now at this point in my life, I do mourn the 30 40 years of loss of culture 
um, that I have, you know, in, in my story because I had really trying to just emulate what I saw around me, mm-hmm. which was white men. Right. <laughs> so I was just trying to, uh, you know, present myself in the way that they were presenting themselves. Um, but the irony is that that some of the things that they were doing would not be acceptable for a woman, much less a brown woman right. uh, in the environment that we were in. So like to pay your bills, you were code switching. 100%. Yeah. Hundred percent, and and code switching was such a um, a common thing for me because I would code switch when I would be at work and in that environment, and then I would code switch back when I would go home mm-hmm. and I would be with my people sure. who saw me as a white person. Right. <laughs> they would you know expect me to behave in the same way that I was behaving at at work, um, so I I could never quite fit into that you know that world so i had i would you have weren't to... latina enough yeah and you weren't white enough for yeah. the superiors at the at, at your work right so my whole life became about controlling everything i said every you know relationship that i had uh every you know way that i presented myself um, and communicated and i strove for being extremely articulate and well-spoken and uh, and presenting myself in a way that, you know, others would would respond to. And when I look back on some of the relationships I had with people that I managed, I really think that the, the relationships that were the most uh, effective and the people that that I think today would look back fondly on our time together are the ones where I would let those guards down and mm-hmm. I would let that facade down mm-hmm. and we would just be real and we would just have conversations about whatever was going on but I always felt that that was dangerous like we we're risking it yeah like we can't get caught being real like this okay we have to you know this is for us but then when we go out there we have to you know be white the shirt up and you know be yeah. you know be straight up and you know, clean and, and straighten up and fly right or whatever. Sure. Brene Brown talks about how people don't fall in love with perfection. They fall in love with like human characteristics mm. and flaws, mm. which I hindsight's twenty twenty as always. Right. But I definitely try to have tried in the past and still have issues with it. Um, trying to be perfect. What I think is perfect, which is it kind of arrogant to assume that the person I'm trying to convince that I'm perfect has the same idea of perfection, right? Yeah. But I, I've done that before because if if I'm perfect, then you can't leave me. You won't abandon me. Or if you do, that's on you because I did. I'm perfect. You know what I mean? So Or, or I would get my way, mm-hmm. right? Like if I do everything correctly and I say the right words and I look the right way, then I'll get my way. And I think that was a, a a major turning point for me in my career. And really where the beginning of the end was with my time at Fidelity was I had applied for this internship program where I would go to four different uh, rotations and I would get to learn, you know, people process, uh, product and, and project management. And I was so excited about that because I dabbled in all of those areas. I had a lot of people management experience because I had these different teams that I managed at Fidelity, 
but you know the project management I had only touched on a little bit uh, product management client management so I was really excited about this and I uh, made it to like second round interviews we were out in Boston we had all of this um this like two days of just rigorous you know interviewing and I ultimately did not get accepted and the reason they didn't accept me is because I was not authentic enough those were the exact words that they gave me and I think that's why this topic was so of interest to me because this began this whole journey of what what does that even mean what, what is, is that so let's what does talk about authentic that. mean what does that mean <clears throat> and I think that it had a lot to do with how for me it means letting go of the control of over how other people see me so being authentic for me is about being in in touch with and, and understanding what's going on with me inside of me how do I feel what do I want uh what is okay what are my boundaries all you know there's a host of things but the most important thing is that I'm not trying to manage and control what other people are thinking of me and so while I was devastated (laughs) that I did not get that internship program um whoever that was that made that decision probably did the best thing that they could do for me and it would only be a Mm. few years after that that I would ultimately leave because as I began to explore what authenticity meant, it didn't look the way <clears throat> that I think it, you know, whenever you're starting something new, whenever you're growing, right? Kids growing up, they fall over, they they fall down, they break things. And I think that was my beginning journey into trying to find out authenticity was I was I was stumbling and I was making mistakes and I would try to be vulnerable in places <laughs> that was not really a safe place for me to be vulnerable and I would share my feelings about things that uh, people might not want to hear about my feelings Um, and the most painful was when I would not say things when I would not call out or call a moment on behavior that was completely unacceptable and I would carry that with me um, like direct direct racist behavior uh, at work which I experienced you know regularly yeah Um, that was just you know, we just didn't talk about it. And right. that became gradually more and more uncomfortable for me. And that's why you left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I just, I could no longer reconcile this person that I was trying to become and the person that was, um, that had been at Fidelity for that 15 year period, you know, and I, right. I it just was, it just kept getting more and more uncomfortable. I couldn't find anywhere I changed jobs a few times moved in and out of different departments and I just couldn't find a place where I felt comfortable so I think it's important to recognize that this has nothing to do with them sure right like yeah there's individuals that were pretty toxic and racist and misogynist and that I you know am happy that I don't have to deal with anymore right but this was entirely a journey that I was on that no I no longer fit uh in in that environment and so then I went to culinary school and I decided to do that. Yeah. And I started my own business and I started managing uh, restaurants. I just, there were only two in the time that I was out there because I had never managed restaurants before. So yeah. I was trying to figure that out. I want to go back. I hate to interrupt you, but why did you pick culinary school? Like if we're talking about going inward, so you wanted to be an actor, you got had financial fears. So you go to a very, the safest bet finance right massive national institution yeah and my outside of like the stock market obviously yeah (laughs) internal 
finance institution, right? And then, and you had a team of like 30 people that were working for you, right? At various times. So I think the largest, so we, we would keep them around 20, 25, but the, when I was in transition from Massachusetts to North Carolina, mm-hmm. I had like 15 in Massachusetts, 15 in North Carolina. Substantial that team. Was, yeah, they were, they were large teams. And you, how long did you work there? 15 years. That's almost to the day. Time. Almost to the day. So was your goal to work there the whole time? Because that's like a safer bet. Like, absolutely. I thought I would retire from there. Sure. I absolutely. It's a flex, right? To be like, I worked here for X. Things have changed now. Exactly. And we would talk about that, right? Mm. Like these millennials changing jobs every time. Two years, (laughs) no loyalty. And it's like, we've heard about the tech lit. People worked at Google for 25 years, got laid off via email. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the last week, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I saw that. In um, like manufacturing and auto, I mean, we would we record key for plans where I would talk to people that were like, I gave my life to this yeah. company, but yeah, I thought I would retire from there. I really did. I'm not convinced I won't. You know, like sure, who knows if I'll you know you could go back if I ever decided to try to go back. But um, so you're going inward. You're trying to figure out what is the plan for you. Like what? Where am I going to be happiest? Yeah. And I thought it was cooking. I, I really, I had a hobby that I decided, why can't I just make this a career? I started culinary school. I watched instructors at this. The first school I went to is actually no longer in existence. It was so not great um, by my perception. I think there are people that had really great experiences there. I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw, you know, instructors that were out hustling doing caterings. And I was like, if they can do this, I can totally do this. Sure. And so I started a company and I started hustling and I I loved it because what I have been doing my whole career up until this point is serving people. Now I'm serving them with food and I'm deriving this intense pleasure from watching people have a visceral experience with something that I have produced when I, you know, and I would had a couple gigs going into people's homes and, and cooking for them in their homes. And that was just amazing watching that experience. It's an intimate exchange too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the food from a chef's perspective, like that's a creation that you've made up in your mind. And then you actually deliver on the chefery. And then you watch the person have an emotional reaction to your creation. It's pretty, I felt that way with graphic design. When I see like a billboard or a package design at a makeup counter and it's like I have those Photoshop files on my computer for the package this woman just spent 50 bucks on, you know, it's it's validating. Yeah. It's cool. It's kind of a full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So what happened then is I needed... How long did you do that? I did that for two years okay. and then I got married. How do you meet your husband though? In culinary school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So That's we good. met in culinary school. He's amazing. Huge He's plus. A far better cook than I am. Yeah. Um, and, but life circumstances. My mom got sick. She passed away. We were, I was trying to figure out how to be a new wife. So we decided I would get a job at a restaurant cooking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, it started off as consulting. I was just helping them develop their menu and get their costs under control. But they found me out. They found out that I had been at Fidelity previously and what my history looked like. Uh, and they decided that they wanted me to manage instead of just consult. And that's when I found this whole system, this group of people that was just being ground 
into the dirt. It's like this subculture of people that are used in a way to extract something from them and they are treated almost subhuman. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was shocking to my system Yeah, when I started meeting, you know, started understanding servers and the service community and, and what it's like here in the U S and how we, how we approach that. And then I started learning about cooks and how they're compensated and not compensated mm-hmm. and what that looks like. And there's a, a huge uh, undocumented population mm-hmm. in, in kitchens and in that environment. And so one of the things that I am so grateful to Fidelity for is teaching me about how to advocate for my people mm-hmm. and how to take you know customer service and, and being of service to other people and apply that in the arena of of people management. And so I was so intent on on providing a, a place for these people to work where they felt valued, respected, uh, and, you know, appreciated, and that they were compensated fairly. And that was really, really hard uh, because of you know, the way our, our system is set up. Well, you're upsetting the apple cart. Yeah. Because that's not how it works. Yeah, it's not how it works. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons that people will give you for why and the most recent restaurant that I left, uh, it, it became, uh, we had a, a couple of investors that were very comfortable with n- moving in the direction of, let, you know, let's pay people what they're worth. Let's take care mm. of people and, and they'll take care of our customers. So they were on board with they you. They were on board. We did a thing. It was beautiful. Uh, we and really, you presented it to them. Like, yeah. we, we need to pay them more. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and pay them what they're worth. I, they're still dependencies on the public like we live in America and in America we're living uh, on an established tipping system that there is an entire demographic that completely disagrees with like we should not be tipping they don't tip in any other industrialized nation in the world so we should therefore stop doing that most of those people have not worked in the restaurant industry right. or understand that while that is a wonderful ideal, that is not something that is uh, realistic. Those people practice. are making 15, 20 bucks an hour, though, whether the people that, that are overseas what, that are not getting tipped. Sure. Yeah, right. they're getting living right. wages right. and not getting tipped. And in That's our environment, thing. you know, we, we pay them Subminimum wage two dollars yeah two two twenty five two thirteen with the expectation that they're going to get tipped so they're making twenty dollars an hour at least they're making living wages as long as we keep to the social contract that if I prepare your food bring it to you clean up your mess after right. package everything up and the only thing you have to do is sit down and eat that you're going to compensate me for that, that you're going to join the restaurant who's paying the person for just showing up, whether you do or not, mm-hmm. you're going to help out with that and you're going to compensate with a tip. And so everything was going great for a time. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. Right. And we could not, we couldn't keep it going. We, we could, it was an, we were operating in an idealized version of what a restaurant could be. Mm, utopian. Yeah, we were, I mean, it was like there were, we had so many different aspects of what we were trying to do. And, you know, as far as like educating the community and participating in activism and being a center for community and a place where all really did feel welcome. And I mean, it was in Carborough. Sure. You know, do the math. Like, Which it was, for our listeners that don't know that, Carborough is like 
really woo-woo, like, beyond left-wing, right? Like <laughs> it's, granola. It's the little blue center in the big, big Pe- red state. People are like, maybe may or may not have TVs. <laughs> they may or may not shower. Just kidding. Too far. Um, but yeah, that kind, very granola bar. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but well, well, I should say... Or so we thought. There, mm. that's probably we'll, we'll, maybe another podcast. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about what what's but when really you going say, on. Garbara, what's really but... going on? But when you say, you know, there's definitely like rich hippie people who like placate as very liberal, but are not. Mm. I've found those people for sure. Yeah, for okay. sure. That's Wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, I may have another guest for you for that. But um... please bring it on. <laughs> but I, yeah, we were doing a thing and it was great. And it, you know, so we... what were you paying? If you don't want us, what were you paying these folks? So I mean, we were still doing sub minimum wage for our um, service staff. Um, so five dollars an hour, mm-hmm. which is a bit above the. 225 yeah, yeah. but yeah. um but they before covid they were doing fine they were still at five dollars an hour they're still making 20 25 30 dollars an hour sure. when covid hit the owners agreed to um do like a subsidy so that they would always get 15 dollars no matter what 15 dollars an hour okay. no matter what because mathematically it was going to be seldom enough that they were going to have to physically come out of pocket to ha- to to uh, make that up mm-hmm. as long as everybody was and it was worth to, worth it to keep the staff so you don't lose the staff that the absolutely. customers know yeah absolutely and it, it even though the it's business retention. wasn't coming out of pocket that often yeah to make that subsidy the employees knowing that they were willing to do it mm. was a huge morale boost. It was like, sure. this company is here to take care of us. So we will give, you know, we'll, we'll give our best foot forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after about a year of trying to do that in the new world of post COVID restaurant life, um, it was, it was getting gradually worse and worse. And so the investors pulled out and sold the business and, um, the new owners were not on board with any of these yeah. socialist hippie ideas. Sure. And so it's a very different place now. And it's there, you know, I do not begrudge them their decision to do a different thing and yeah. go in a different direction. But it's, you know, there most of us that were there are no longer there yeah. as a result of that. Because so. it, well, and back to the authenticity, like that's not in alignment with yeah. you. I could not, I could not show up every day and, you know, try to move in a direction that it was just not in align with my ideals, my morals and my values. So, mm-hmm. so that's how that ended. And now I work for a mechanic and I, I'm writing. I'm a service writer yeah. and a mechanic, which is seems so completely left field, but it's still customer service. It's still showing up and helping people with a you know with something that they need, yeah. um, presenting in a way in a way that is understandable for them and and makes you know take some of the fear and and the anxiety out of a process with you know finance. It was fi- you know their sure. investments, their retirement, something that was very sensitive. Sure. Um, if you've ever owned a car, you know, it's very sensitive and, and it's like, so it's like smoke and mirrors. Like I have, they could tell me your car's going to blow up, fall apart. The catalytic converter is left from right upwards from down. I mean, they could completely make something up and I would be like, here's my credit card. I've had no one. I have no idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to have someone who can kind of hold space for the confusion and stress of a car 
mishap is yeah. is priceless. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, you know, big part of that is cars are expensive. Yeah. You know, cars are everything related to cars. They're parts, what it costs for somebody to gain the knowledge to know how to fix them. Yeah. Um, they're just really expensive. And so I'm in a, um, in a community that is primarily black and brown folks that I can be there for and help them understand what's happening with their car from one person that didn't know anything about cars to another person that might not know anything about cars and how they work. I can communicate and translate this information, sometimes literally, because I do speak Spanish about 90% of my day. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, you know, now a service that I can provide. Uh, But thinking in terms of the authenticity perspective, like, I get to show up for my Latino community in a way that I've never been able to do before in any other job that I've had. A little bit in restaurants because I did have a few cooks that were Latino or, you know, I would have when guests would come in um, to this space that, you know, the name of the restaurant was Vecino. Mm -hmm. It means neighbor in Spanish. But when I joined, there was not a Latino to be seen except for my Guatemalan cooks in the kitchen. Um, So it was like when people would come into this space, I, I had such a great time just welcoming them in and giving them that feeling of warmth and family and hospitality mm-hmm. that I believe that my culture is known for. Sure. Of course. So awesome. Let's take a quick break. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're back. So Monica, you're talking to us about authenticity. How, do you know if you are either in a spot where you're you are knowingly or unknowingly being inauthentic to yourself? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there is this cognitive dissonance that happens when I am being inauthentic. And oftentimes it how I'll figure that out or the you know the red flag the flag on the play as they say Mm -hmm. is some kind of difficult interaction with somebody and you know some a person another person so I'll I'll end up in some sort of conflict uh, with somebody because I haven't set a boundary I haven't made a boundary clear to them uh, and I I will often walk away from an experience feeling like I could have handled that better uh I had an experience recently at work going into the automotive industry. One of the things that I have grown, one of the areas that I've grown in over the last three or four years is owning my physical space, that it's not okay for people to come into my physical space. And it's also not okay uh, for people to say things to me that are racist or sexist or, you know, something like that doesn't mean I have to be yelling or getting angry or having a fight with anybody. But when I don't say anything at all, when I find myself laughing at things that are not funny, I walk away from that experience feeling this sort of like an ick that I just don't, I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that says, okay, this isn't, so why do you think that this is okay? Why is that funny? Yeah. Now that will off. What's interesting about that is I'm saying that I know that I'm being inauthentic because I'm having conflict with someone. However, times when I am being inauthentic, it still sometimes develops this 
awkwardness. So there was a time when somebody did make a, like, you know, a sexual joke at work and I looked at them and said, so why is that okay? And it was a very awkward silence, but it drove that person to just take a beat and think, oh yeah, we're in a work setting. This might not be the best. Of course, they did this whole weird. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't oh, mean to make on, you uncomfortable. Sort of yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, I, come on, why are you being like that? Relax. I've gotten that a few times. Chill yeah. out. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But I like to think that um, either they will think about that when I'm not around, or. They won't, and they'll make fun of me, and I don't care, but I feel okay. Mm-hmm. I walk away from that experience feeling okay. Uh, other times And being where, okay mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. And being okay with them thinking that you're uptight or, like, thinking that you're a bitch. Yeah. I've been... And it's funny. The first red flag of inauthenticity is some sort of spiritual discord within yourself, and as I've grown in my journey the realization that I even have a discomfort is coming faster to the event, coming up quicker to the event. But I have told, like retold a story to someone not realizing how not okay the other person in the story's behavior was and just truly being blind to it. So I think it takes practice to be really connected to your body and know like when something, my chest gets tight and I'm realizing that now more real time, but before, and you know, it's still not perfect. It could be a day or two, you know, and I'm, and I might be like decompressing with you or with someone else. And they're like, wait, that person did that. Like I had a guy from the internet who I'll tell you guys this story one day, long story long, he was like off the chain and I'll just leave it at that and save it for another episode. But I was advised a few days later by a my therapist at the time to call the police and let them know what had happened. And I was like, Oh, and I still, I was definitely the victim in the situation for sure, which is not my MO to say, but in this case absolutely was. And my therapist was like worried for my safety at this time because of the situation. And I was still saying, well, I would hate to get him in trouble. Like still that. And then I called the police on non-emergency line And the police officer said to me, well, it sounds like so-and-so needs to learn how to treat a woman. What do you think? Like kind of hitting on me over the phone as I'm reporting a violent like partner. And granted, I anyway, I won't get into the story, but it was a romantic situation. The guy was violent and the cop was like hitting on me in the midst of making the complaint. And it took one of my best friends who is a man to say, And I was like, man, I should have called the cops beforehand. Like, this is Jasmine, right? Like, I'm a feminist. I'm out here helping best I can. You know, I'm about, you know, the patriarchy hurts everyone. I I think men should have more access to mental health care. Like, I'm about having truly equal opportunities for everyone. And that even means that letting men cry. (laughs) It's not just about women and, and helping women. It's for everyone. So that being said, I was like, man, I should have called the cops before. You know, this was way easier. Like, I feel so much better now. Mm -hmm. And my friend, who's a man, said, Jasmine, he was hitting on you on the... That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And this was two years ago, right? Yeah. It's definitely interesting to to be so separated from your spirit. Or I feel like I'm connected, 
But I still want, I will sacrifice myself before the other person is uncomfortable, even if they are the one who is so absolutely in the wrong, like saying something sexual to you at work. Yeah. And I, so that's the control part, right? Like I, I'm so concerned about how they're going to feel, what they're going to think that I'll twist myself into a pretzel before I, you know, and that's a, that's a big flag for when I'm being inauthentic and Mm. it feels bad. And I might not know it for two years. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's but it's an it's an MO. Another thing I think for me regarding inauthenticity is is lying. And I mean I, that's probably like a no-brainer, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, lying is inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Uh so it would seem, you know, but I there are times when I wouldn't recognize, like it wouldn't occur to me that I was lying. Because mm. again, I'm trying to control that vision of how this person sees me and what they're going to think and how they're going to feel. Um, how are you? Great. <laughs> yeah. It's a lie. I tell a lot and I've gotten way better at that. Yeah. You know, but, um, and now I try to say like, that's, I am tempted to do that mm. because I just don't want to get into it. But I yeah. can also say now, you know, I'm, I'm going through it, but it's, it's I'll be all right. Don't yeah. want to get into it, but thank you for asking. How are you doing? Yeah. And it's a slight change, right? Yeah. It's still yeah. short, sweet to the point. The goal of that is to not dig into detail mm-hmm. or to be seen as, you know, struggling or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, we are trained to be good and to not be in the way or, you know, don't make it awkward for other people. So if something is not, I don't, and again, this isn't about oversharing or really getting into it, but prudently saying, you know, if I'm like, oh my God, never been better, best day of my life. And I was just in my car crying. Like that's just straight up dishonesty. Yeah. But I could be tempted to do that because I see it as the easier, softer way. Yeah. Yeah. Or another version of that for me is uh, when I get hooked into uh, common behavior that I would never otherwise like. So we were talking about the um, sexual harassment at work or sexual conversations or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely just dove into that. Next thing I know, I'm using like I'm being vulgar. I'm saying stuff and I'm just like, what? There are two examples that I can think of from one of my jobs when I first got into food and beverage there, I, I think of those situations and I shudder mm. because of things that I said and wondering who remembers that I said it or saw me say it, you know, heard me say it because it, it was so in like, that is not who I am, mm. but I wanted everybody to like me and think I was funny and cool. And so I'm going to behave this way. And being that chameleon and just slipping into uh, whatever circumstances I'm in, that was a tool that worked for me for a long, long time. Uh, or at least I thought it did. And it stopped working. Mm-hmm. When I started growing up and becoming an, an adult and wanting to have functional relationships with other people and progress in my life, um, I, you know, it, it will, I think it would continue to work to a certain point. Uh, but I cannot be satisfied with that. Right. Because I've decided to go on this journey into authenticity. Right. So, you know, for me, actions that I take to try to remain authentic is being vulnerable with people and like telling the truth Mm. when I have told a lie. 
So if I've said something and I know it's not the truth, like just little things when the truth would do just fine. And I say, oh, yeah, I read that book. That is a lie. I have never read that book. I have that book on my shelf because I want to present the idea that I have read it, but I have not read it. Um, or, you know, things that I find other people uh, knowing in common that are part of just the general knowledge, I guess, of the world. You're like, I, oh my God, love that show. Exactly. Yeah. That I've never seen. Yeah. You know? Because I, I, the person who has still yet to wa- watch White Lotus, mm-hmm. is not enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. that, what is the cause and the, the causes and conditions of that defect? I would say it would be that they will like me more if, you know, I've watched the show. When in reality, they are unattached to if I watch the show. They would probably love to be the person to recommend it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is like my like Spanish language. Mm. You know, like I tried for so long to uh, either pretend like I know more than I did and end up in a jackpot because I'd be in a conversation where I have no idea what's going on or completely put myself down. Like, no, I don't speak. I've actually said, no, I don't speak Spanish at all. I've heard you, know, you say that. Or I'll say just just a little. Just I only speak a little. I, yeah, I speak fluent Spanish. There are a lot of words I don't know and they're and I'm growing in that. But that like living in that uncomfortable space where I extend myself and I do something no matter how I'm going to look, no matter how I'm going to sound and there is nothing for me that is more uh t- like practical and visceral than speaking another language um and so most difficult. of all with my dad because he he was always the one that would like correct me on everything and I've just started talking to him and he just has to deal with it because that's who I want to be I want to be a girl who talks to her dad in his native tongue you know like yeah. that's that's an ideal I want to live up to. So I think, you know, when I think of like how to grow in authenticity, mm-hmm. I think it's having clear ideals of how I want to be, who I want to be, mm-hmm. and um, being transparent with another person, like an accountability partner or just my my friends, mm-hmm. um, being transparent about am I living up to those ideals or am I not, and calling it out when I when I'm when I'm lying. Mm-hmm. So. That's what I would say. That's huge. Thank you so much. When you are authentic, when you are at your most authentic self, how do you feel? Um, I, you know, I truly and honestly, um, it's there. It 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 varies. It depends on the situation. Like there are times when it's like a note in tune, and I everything just feels like this is me and. I am in love with this person that I am and I am good I'm in flowing. this yeah in this circumstance or this situation I am saying these I things I trust my life yeah and that is good universe has my back yeah and then there are other times when it's me packing up my computer and walking out of a job because somebody's screaming at me and I've decided that that is not a way that I want to live and I was my most authentic self as I quit my job, which was the first time I had ever done that in my life. I've never let a, left a job without two Proper weeks notice. notice. Oh, and yeah. And it, on good terms. Sure. Eligible for rehire. Sure. Yeah. So I was, you know, that was one of the most uncomfortable times that I've ever had to be my most authentic self was to say this is not acceptable and I'm going to leave now. And I 
congratulations for doing that. I think it's also lovingly and gently and honestly going inward and kind of letting the rules you thought you had for yourself and for the others around you, what's acceptable, what's not, to kind of move around. And I'll explain more what I mean. Obviously, there's like, you know, abuse is not okay. Being screamed at at all in any situation is not okay. But the woman that will walk out of a job, like on paper, leave without no notice in a during a fight, that would never, you would say maybe, I would never, ever, ever do that, right? But then you had to have a real life, real time decision to say, actually, I am the woman that does that because this is unacceptable. So letting yourself, because I have sat in situations for way too long because I don't want to do the bad, the in quote, bad girl thing. I want to be a good girl and do the right thing and whatever. And I've put myself in, in tough situations due to that. So I think letting yourself make a real time on the dime decision about I'm fucking leaving right now on right now this minute. Yeah, and to to be clear, it was there was I gave opportunities to sure. these folks to manage this relationship in a different way and yeah. that was also part of being my authentic self yeah. was, you know, communicating with them verbally and over email I'm seeing this situation develop. I'm seeing us relating to each other in a way that is not comfortable or acceptable for me. So I had a clear ideal. I communicated my ideal and also stayed in clear contact with other people in my life. When I walked out of that job, the first thing I did was pick up the phone and call another professional in my industry and say, here's the situation. Am I overreacting? Mm -hmm. Um, I checked in, I, you know, I gave, I gave notice in a, even though in that moment I didn't give notice, I had given notice that this was not going to be acceptable and this behavior needed to change. Um, you know, that's probably a good example of when being my authentic self doesn't feel very good in the moment, but was a, was an example to the women that I was managing at the time Mm -hmm. that, you know, this is not okay and you don't need to live with this. Yeah. Um, and other women that I would come up to because I, you know, or, or interact with in my life because I was able to do that with my head up. I didn't yell. I didn't curse. I didn't call names. Yeah. I walked out of that and, you know, with, with, with like living in accordance with my ideals. Honorably and dignified. Yeah. Yeah. Authenticity doesn't always feel good, but it's always worth it. Yeah. In the end. Awesome. Thank you so much, Monica. Absolutely. I have one question for you. You don't know what it is. Okay. It's just totally random, has nothing to do with authenticity. That was an amazing talk. So I so appreciate it. I learned a lot. I'm I'm like, shit, I'm not as authentic as I thought I was. I definitely minimize myself to make, I don't take up as much space as I like to think I do. So I appreciate that. And that's a huge reason why I started this podcast, honestly. Um, all right. Here's my question for you. Would you rather spend 30 minutes in a tank with a great white shark or tell your ex that you still love them? (laughs) Oh, man. I think I could tell my ex that I still love them. Depending which ex we're talking about. <laughs> I don't think, and I, okay, versus, and I, I would, 
I don't know. I would also do the same. And I'll tell you why. It doesn't have to be true. This is the authenticity podcast. (laughs) And I'm saying you can lie. I mean, listen, if it's me and a great white shark in a tank for any amount of time, I didn't, I just went to Maui and I did not go into the water more than honestly 15 feet because I was, I had like flashes. Yeah. I'm a love the ocean, triple water sign in the ocean, swimming flips and it all. Couldn't do it. For some mm-hmm. reason, I was feeling like sharks were all around me. Mm. So, no. I would do anything but that, I think. I have so many. There's So, I'm going through all these different things. Like, sharks are not rational. They're primal. So, I am food. <laughs> so, exactly. Like, you there's cannot no, reason with there's this There's no animal. reasoning. No. Whereas, I could, you know, tell my ex that I loved him. Especially if it was like... If you know, like Jess, like sure. I could tell Jess that I still love him, Rest and I peace, always, Jess. yeah, and I will always love Sweet him. Man. And my husband's cool with that. Sure, you know, like he he would love Jess. If I don't think the nature of the question was like, do you still love your ex, or would you get eaten by a shark? I don't think that's. I, I don't gotcha. think it's. Would you still? That's how literal my brain gets. Like but, yeah. I don't think it's. Do you love your ex still? And or would you rather be eaten by a shark than love your ex? I think it's would you tell your ex you love them over being in a, in a tank with a shark, a great white shark for 30 minutes? Yeah, because, again, I Definitely. I don't think we'd make it 30 minutes in a tank with a no, shark. No, would, it would eat <laughs> us. Yeah. 100%. But, that's, but the, the question is then, would you rather die? Would you? Basically, that's the your, question. Yeah, would you rather die than tell your ex that you love them? That you still love them. And I, I can't think of another yeah, scenario. I could live through that. I've lived through some embarrassing stuff. I don't think I could live. <laughs> I would say, listen, I love you, but this is, I'm doing this so I don't have to be in a tank with a great white shark. <laughs> and that's the only reason. <laughs> no, I would be like, yeah, I love you because you are one of God's children as well. Yes. In that absolutely. way and in that way only. And I'm also doing this so I don't get put in a tank with a great white shark for 30 minutes. God bless you and love you. Yeah. Now, what do they say? God bless them and keep them far away from me. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Monica. This has been incendiary. I love you. I love you too. Okay. It's time for the meditation segment, so hold tight. Sit down in a comfortable position. With your back straight. Your hands on your knees. Palms facing the sky. Ready to receive. Close your eyes or have a soft gaze. Focus on the air coming in and out of your nose. When thoughts come, thank them and let them go. Take a deep breath in. and out. 
what is important to you. Your first answer is your truth. What are your principles? Take a few moments to see them in your mind's eye. Who are you? What do you stand for? Do you like what you see? Can you accept who you are right now? Can you lovingly notice without judgment who you are? What do you want to be? Can you trust that you are going there with every passing moonrise? You are closer to the person you were meant to be. Before the doubt, before the fear, you are becoming your most self-compassionate version of you. What is motivating you? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it forgiveness? Take a moment to notice what makes you happy and excited to be here. You are so important. Take a moment to notice what makes you happy. The world would not be the same without you in it. 
Can you see that? You are unique. You are special. You are a part of a greater cosmic web of life in this moment, which is all we ever have. Do you realize that? That is how special you are. Can you see it? Flaws in all. You are here. And that is a miracle. still standing still healing still growing still evolving into a person that truly accepts all parts of you and trusts in all that is happening for you always. Thank you for practicing with me today. Open your eyes, familiarize yourself with the room. Namaste.